Well, again, good morning. Uh, welcome. My name is Nathan. I'm the campus pastor here. I'm so glad that you've chosen uh, the Olathe campus of Christ Community Church as a place to gather together uh, in continuing celebration of who Jesus is and all that he's done for us. Uh, as we prepare to, to look at this story, let's, let's pray. Ask God to speak to us, um, to reveal uh, his word uh, to us through his spirit. Let's pray now. God, thank you so much for um, yeah, bringing us together, bringing us to a place where we can gather in your name and worship. And God, in, in many ways, when we read this story, it's so amazing, it's so uh, incredible, right? To just even get our minds around um, the work of Jesus in this individual's life. At the same time, there are so many of us who long for something similar. God, we long for your healing, for your restoration, for, for your redemption in our lives and in the lives of the people that we love. So God, I pray that as we come to you and as we get this glimpse into who you are, Jesus, from your word, God, I pray that you'd show us how you are, you are still this Jesus and that you long to care for us. So be with us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so for me, last week was a, a little bit like this. So here we are. Um, this is me and my little girl. We're, we're at the at Great Sand Dunes National Park. Uh, it's the first day of our, our family vacation, just, you know, dancing our little hearts out, right? It's, everything's great. Everything's awesome. You can see the delight in her eyes. Uh, and then, you know, of course, we start running. Uh, and you can almost see Eden, right? She's five, almost thinking... This is crazy, but I trust my daddy, right? You kind of see that's happening. Uh, and then here's where it felt a little bit like last week, okay? Uh, the inevitable happens. Uh, everything begins to speed out of control. She makes one final grab to steady herself on my shorts, <laughs> realizing that on second thought, dad cannot be trusted. And boom, right? Right in the, yep, there it is. Yep, yeah. Yeah, she's okay, okay, I promise, she's okay, she said I could show this, but here's the hero shot, right there. Yeah, father of the year, right? I'm going to win an award, I'm sure, sand like shoved up her, yeah. Um, But that's kind of like what last week felt like. Um, And and I'm sure sure you've been there, right? I'm sure we've, we've all had... Uh, weeks like that. Um, but for us, for me personally, it, w- it was the week of the fourth that I'm talking about. Um, David had just broken, David, our son, he had just broken both of his arms, which by the way, I had nothing to do with, okay? Despite any <laughs> evidence to the contrary, I was nowhere near. There are witnesses. I was not around um, when he broke his arm. Um, but that, you know, that kind of set up the week. And then honestly, it was, just, I mean, just truthfully, it was one of those where there was just crisis after crisis after crisis. I mean, you, just, you wouldn't believe. Um, and and it, it's, a, it's a privilege to be a pastor. Um, I love being a pastor. It's a privilege for me to be able to walk with people um, in some of their hardest times. I mean, it, it, it really is. But there were way too many tears and way too many homes in our family here. And it was one of those where, I mean, Monday, you know, the alarm went off this week. And I, I honestly, I just didn't want to get out of bed, truthfully. Um, and I'm, I'm just the guy that's like trying to walk alongside people in this. Um, some of you are actually going through it. But what did I want in those moments? I mean, I wanted, I wanted to escape. I, wa- I wanted to be distracted. I wanted food and television, right? The notorious coping mechanisms. I wanted to go on a bike ride, but my bike was in the shop. I wanted to be alone, but of course we had our family reunion last weekend, Right? 
And most of all, I, I, wanted, I wanted everything to be fixed, right? So come on, Jesus, that's what I want. Why don't you get on that, right? Anybody else ever feel that way? I mean, seriously, what, what do you want? As you sit here this morning, what do you want? What, what keeps you up at night? What are you going to be daydreaming about for the next 30 to 40 minutes, give or take? What, what do you want? Better health? Better job? Or a job? Or just even like a little cushion in the, in the budget? Uh, maybe a friend or a better marriage or a child. Maybe, maybe you just want to feel happy again. Or maybe, maybe you just you want like one thing in your life to go according to plan. And maybe in that you feel, frankly, a little bit like this, right? That we showed again here. No, maybe not. There we go. So you feel like that. And the worst part of this, right, for, for her, and again, she's, she's fine. It was, we laughed at it later. Uh, not immediately after, but, you know, we, we laughed. But the worst, the worst part about this, and maybe for you, right, if you feel this way, it's that you really thought you could trust the one whose hand you were holding, right? I mean, shouldn't Jesus take care of all this stuff? What, what's the point of believing all these things if he doesn't give us what we want from time to time? And you can't tell me I'm the only one here who's felt this way. And then I read a story like this. I love this story. We heard it just a few minutes ago. And as I, as I studied this week and, and really just wrestled through, what is Jesus doing here? Who, what do we learn about him? I think the thing that struck me most is that Jesus isn't always what we want. But he's always what we need. He isn't, he isn't always what we want. Sometimes, frankly, he's the last thing that we want. And sometimes he doesn't give us what we want but he's exactly what we need. And so this summer, together as a church, we're asking uh, this question, does it really matter about the core things that we as Christians believe in, right? We've talked about, does it matter what we believe about God and the Bible and, and us? And uh, this week, does it, does it matter what we believe about Jesus? I mean, think about it, right? Here is this, this man, Jesus, who is arguably the, the most polarizing controversial and yet influential person who's ever lived, right? This carpenter from Israel 2,000 years ago. And over a billion people still claim to follow him today. Scholars, believers and unbelievers alike, continue to study him and write books about him. I mean, he decided our, our calendar, right? It's all based around him. His name is a swear word for crying out loud. There's something unique about this guy, Jesus. But the reality is, regardless of what you believe about Jesus, I mean, how you answer that question, who is he? Because I know, I know for some of us, for, you know, we're not, we're not all Christians here. We, we know that. So for some, maybe you just think of him, he's just a, he's a good teacher, uh, a misunderstood revolutionary, any of that. Maybe that's what you're thinking. But the better question than who is he is, who does Jesus think he is? Who did he think he is? Because when you, when you read this story, I mean, it's so bizarre. I don't, I don't think anybody could possibly make this stuff up. So regardless of what you believe about Jesus, Jesus believed that he was the fulfillment of all of our needs. He believed that. Which means he's either ridiculously delusional, hopelessly wicked and deceptive, 
or maybe, just maybe, who he really thought he was. Who does Jesus think he is? It's not always what we want, but he's always what we need. So this morning, we're going to take time just to walk through the story, to try to enter in what must it have been like for the, the people involved, for the characters. I mean, there's so much drama and action happening in this. We're going to spend time. You can follow along if you like. Uh, Luke chapter 5 is where we're at. You can, you can look with me as we go. But we're really just going to tell the story, uh, and then we'll spend the last part of our time together trying to find our place in this story. Um, how does this story continue to speak to us in our lives and in our circumstances today? Okay. Uh, so you gotta, you got to use your imagination here, right, to really be able to enter in what's happening. Think back, okay, 2,000 years ago, desert setting, um, you know, ancient Israel. And Jesus, he's still kind of brand new at this point, okay? Uh, he's begun to be known a little bit, but he's not a household name yet. Uh, he's preached a few killer sermons. He's healed a, a handful of people, um, but he's really just kind of building up steam, right? Uh, in, his, in his ministry, just sort of gathering a bit of a following. But the rumors, they're beginning to spread about who he is. Uh, so much so that on this particular day, Jesus is teaching his heart out in some guy's house. We don't know whose who's house. Uh, we don't know what he was talking about. Um, but there, there he is, and the house is crowded. I mean, absolutely packed. Standing room only. If there are fire codes back then, all of them would have certainly been broken, right? And picture a room like this, certainly smaller, but with this many people, or, or twice as many, or three times as many people. It is, it is jammed, packed. And it's not just the Jesus fan club in there. That's where it gets a little bit interesting. Because Luke tells us that um, religious leaders, right, the ones who would end up crucifying Jesus, um, hating him, the religious leaders of that day, they had come, Luke says, from all of the tribes of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. They're all scoping this Jesus out. They don't hate him yet, but you can bet that they're listening to his words with at least a little bit of skepticism, you know, probably like some of you, right, this morning. And, and meanwhile, there are these friends who really want to get in there, you see, they've got this, this buddy who, who can't walk. His legs are useless. He's paralyzed. And for, for them in that culture that day, I mean, it, that meant that person was considered worthless, really. An unlovable drain on society. But that wasn't good enough for these friends. And so they think maybe, just maybe, this, this rabbi who they're beginning to hear about, maybe if they can just get his attention, that he can do something about it. Now, there's no wheelchair, Right? Back then, nothing's ADA compliant. Uh, they're carrying him around on a, on a stretcher slash bed. And I picture them showing up at this house. You know, they go to the front door, there's no way. Go to the back door, look in the windows. I mean, they're, they're trying to think of everything, and there's just no way, and they're getting in, and dude's getting heavy, right? They're there, but they, they can't do anything about it. I can hear them arguing, right? I told you we should have left it earlier, right? They want to get in. And then... I'd really love to know whose idea it was. Because I guarantee it wasn't the guy in the stretcher, right? I mean, there's no way he came up with this, this idea. Yeah, you, you want to do what to me? You know, you want to take me up where and lift me down where? I mean, is my body not broken enough for you, right? But he trusts his friends. Frankly, he's honored at their persistence, right? That they, they love him enough to, to go to this extreme length, or at least that they're tired of carrying him around enough to be, try to figure something else out. And so they go up the stairs. 
A lot of houses in that day had flat roofs, and they had stairs outside the house to get up to the roof. You know, if it was hot in the evening, no air conditioning, that kind of thing, they'd go up and be able to cool off after the sun went down. So you can picture these guys, right? They find the stairs, these narrow, narrow stairs, right? Trying to carry their buddy up on this, this stretcher, you know, got him, are you sure, you know, and pivoting and all that stuff. Guys just holding on for dear life. And finally, they get to the top. They wipe the sweat off their brow. And they begin their demo work. And it's not something that they need a sawzall for, right? Okay, the house back then would have most likely been made of of tiles for the roof. So they're they're just prying off little sections, praying that they're somewhere in the vicinity of Jesus, hoping that they can get his attention. And meanwhile... Don't forget what's happening down below, right? They're up there. The rest are down here. Jesus is still teaching what I can only assume would be a better sermon than this one. And he's preaching. And people can start to hear the noises on the roof. Looking around, and the dust and the debris starts to fall, like right in the center of everything. Jesus is still preaching. I mean, teachers get distracted, you know. Um, I know you all get distracted. But imagine, imagine this, this scene happening, right? This makeshift sanctuary where these people are gathered together, packed so tight that they can't even get in the door, and now things start to happen from the ceiling. And then, all of a sudden, daylight creeps in through the roof. You know at that moment, everybody looks up, right? We sure would, wouldn't we? I mean, everybody's head goes up, and they can see these silhouetted heads peering down through this hole into the room. And just when it couldn't get any weirder, begin hoisting this guy down right next to Jesus. This guy who clearly doesn't have any use of his legs. I don't think you can make this stuff up, right? I mean, kind of want to know who the owner of the house is right now, right? He's probably back in his office, right, checking the insurance policy. Wanted to make sure that it covers acts of God, right? (laughs) You get it. You get it. You get it. So I'm just going to guess that at this point the sermon ends, right? I mean, Jesus is smart enough. He's like, I think we're going to call it right here. Everybody, their attention is completely pivoted up towards this one spot and this one man now lying there, and everyone is on the edge of their seats, especially the religious leaders. And we smile at the ridiculousness of it, right? We chuckle along. Oh, man, what is this crazy? It would be so fun if that happened here, you know, yada, yada, yada. You know, we, we get excited about these sorts of things. But for these guys and their friend... This is anything but funny for them. I mean, in a culture like theirs, they just put everything on the line. Their reputation, their social status, to come in and break through some guy's house, obviously a larger house, somebody of influence there in their culture, to bring down this person who they would have considered to just be marginal at best in their society. But they love their friend and he can't walk. This is agonizing for them. And they are so desperate, they're willing to take a one in a million chance on Jesus. This new rabbi that they've never even met. Even if it costs them everything. That's faith. Listen, faith isn't mere mental assent. 
It's not simply reading a statement of, of beliefs and saying, yeah, check, check, I believe that, I believe that. It's not even simply uh, praying a prayer, maybe when you were younger, right, that you believe will now get you into heaven. It's not just that faith is a reckless desire to get close to Jesus at any cost. And Jesus sees their faith. Faith can be seen, people. Faith always acts. Always lives itself out, pours itself into action, and maybe, just maybe, he's the one who can give me what I truly need. And he sees their faith collectively together. All of them there as, as one group together acting out. He sees their faith. And then, in what I can only assume initially must have been the disappointment of a lifetime, Jesus speaks. Man, your sins are forgiven. Wait, what? Um, thanks, I guess. Uh, really, really appreciate that. I mean, if, if we wanted our sins to be forgiven, we would have gone to the temple like everybody else in Jerusalem. But hey, cool, but what about my legs, Jesus? Because these folks, uh, they, didn't come for, they didn't come for forgiveness. I mean, they knew what to do if they wanted forgiveness. I mean, for centuries, it's what the, the Jewish people did. They would go and they would offer sacrifice in the temple. Forgiveness is not on their mind in this moment. They want healing from Jesus. Nothing less than healing. Your sins are forgiven, he says. Because Jesus is replacing the temple. I mean, that's, that's really subtly what's happening here in the background, and we'll get to that in a moment when the religious leaders figure out what's happening. Now, Jesus, he's not just toying with them, okay? It might be easy to look at it, he's just sort of, you know, orchestrating this, this ridiculous scene or anything like that. I don't, I don't think he's toying with him. He knows what he's doing. He knows why they came. He knows what they want. But he also knows what they really need. Because this guy's biggest problem isn't his legs. It's his heart. Because Jesus could fix his legs. He, he could fix that problem. It wouldn't be, wouldn't be that difficult at all. But he knows that he can fix any of our problems. Any of them. But if we don't trust him, if we don't get right with God through him, it's all just for nothing. Now here's where it gets a little fun. Because the religious leaders, right, at this point, I mean, they're just livid, right? I mean, they've been listening this, this whole time, you know, paying attention to all the, the details that's going on. And I mean, the, these other guys, right, they're, they're disappointed, right? Probably even a, a little bit confused. But the religious leaders, they are madder than a cat with a sock on its head, okay? Don't ask me how I know, but believe me, it's like really, really mad. They can't stand that Je- They're crying out, Jesus? Jesus, who do you think you are? Who in God's name do you think you are? And this, this dull roar spreads throughout the crowd. This, this, is, this is blasphemy. No one can forgive sins but God alone. Nailed it. Kind of wish Jesus had said that, don't you, in that moment, right? No one can forgive sins but God alone. 
kind of pictured Jesus at that moment. Yeah, um, guys, uh, funny story, uh, but that's, that's me. That's, that's who I am. But in this moment, I mean, don't get confused at what's going on here. Even Jesus' enemies understood what's, what's, what's going on, what's happening. Because, I mean, we can, we can call him a good teacher, a misunderstood revolutionary. We can pin him with all those kinds of things that we like to look at him. But they know who Jesus thinks he is. And eventually, they're going to kill him for it. This is nothing less in that culture, in this situation, with that background, this is nothing less than a claim for Jesus to be God. And they knew it. A claim that says, I'm replacing the temple. Your, your precious temple. A claim that says, I'm in charge now. And Jesus knows what they're thinking. I mean, he's egged it on, right? It's no surprise here. And so, so he says to them, what do you think's easier? Saying your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. Think about that. Because forgiveness may be hard to actually accomplish, right? I mean, that's, that's why only God alone can forgive sins. But it's easy to say, right? Hey, it's no big deal. Andy, your sins are forgiven. Anybody going to question that? Right? You can't verify it. Maybe it is, maybe they're not, right? Uh, but to say, rise up and walk in front of a crowd... That's instantly verifiable. That's like some serious courage, right, to be able to say that. I mean, I, I can say your sins are forgiven, but I wouldn't tell a person in a wheelchair to get up and walk to save my life. And so Jesus, here in this, this moment, says, rise up and walk. And meanwhile, meanwhile, this, this guy is uh, just sitting there, right? You know, about those legs. Uh, get back over here, right? They're, they're hanging on every word, those friends. They're, they're listening to everything. You can still picture those heads, right? They're looking in. They're still waiting to see. They know, right, that the tension is rising there between Jesus and the religious leaders. They can feel it mounting, and they know that it is about to get real in there. And so Jesus says, what's easier? But just to prove that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. You catch that? Just to prove the Son of Man has authority to, on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. Yeah, he did. Just imagine that moment in this person's life. Everything changed for him. I mean, all of his possibilities, his, his outlook, look, I mean, everything. Instead of being a drain on society, could be a contributor, could actually live and experience a normal life. And I can't help but wonder, when he realized what exactly had happened? Was it in the moment? I don't know. Was it a week later, a year later, a decade later? I have no idea. But it had to have crossed his mind at some point that what Jesus was doing there is if, saying, if, if Jesus has the, the power to heal me, which only God can do, then he also has the power to forgive my sins, which only God can do. I wonder when he put those two together. That not only could Jesus give me what I want, but he could actually give me what I need, a forgiveness more sure than any of the temple worship, any animal sacrifice that he had been brought up to hold on to. Any of it. Jesus. And his friends. You just picture them running down off the roof, right? 
going over to their friend, grabbing onto him, finally seeing him standing there before them whole, both body and soul. And inside, amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Jesus, who do you think you are? It's not always what we want. Nor does he always give us what we want, at least not initially and sometimes never. But he's always what we need. Only God can make whole both body and soul. That's who Jesus is. That is, that's what he's saying in this moment, that he is the one who can make us whole, both our bodies and the, the problems and the brokenness that we experience outside of us, as well as the, the death that lives within us, in our hearts. And I know, we read this story, great story, yippee, you know. If I could be a little sarcastic, good for the paralytic, right? But what about me? What about us? What about the things that I want, the things that that you want that we feel so deeply? Because, yeah, sure, it's 2,000 years later, but sometimes I still feel face-planted in the sun, in the sand, right? Let down by the one that I was supposedly trusting in. So I've wrestled this week. And I think there are three questions in particular that have just really been been haunting me as I've been thinking about these words and what, what happened here. Three questions in particular for us. Who am I wanting Jesus to be, first of all? Do I actually trust him to be what I need? And what am I willing to do to get close to him? Let's spend a couple minutes with each of these questions. First, who are you wanting Jesus to be? Truthfully, deep down, who do you want him to be? Because because for me, when when I want him for nothing more than what he can give me, you know, whether it's a decent income, good health, even, even heaven when I die, right? If that's all I want him for, then he's nothing to me but a vending machine. You know, you, you put in the right amount of, of good works, you punch in the right prayers, and if you're lucky, he'll dispense what I want. It's not faith, that's superstition. It's not a relationship, it's manipulation. Do you want Jesus, or do you want what he can give you? And here's a, here's a telltale sign of that. For me, I, I've experienced this in my own life. It, it's, it's a hard one. I think probably all of us identify with it. But a telltale sign of, of whether or not you're doing this, whether or not you, you want Jesus or what he can give you, is if when bad things happen or you don't get what you've been hoping for, you resent God for it. You blame him. You point, point, point your finger at him. You, you think, God, how could you do that? How could you let that happen? Because essentially what's happening in that moment, I know the temptation. I've, I've done that. We've, we've all done that, haven't we? But when we do that, it's, it's sort of like we're standing in front of the vending machine and the snack is caught, right? And we just, we got to shake it a little bit, kick it, try to get, try to get what we think is owed to us. Do you want Jesus? Or do you want what he can give you? Because the reality is, if, if that's your faith, I mean, Jesus is not a savior to you. He's a tool. And you will spend most of your life angry and disillusioned. And yet, and this, this just knocks me over in this story. Because some of us, some of us here, we came to Jesus 
um, for a lot of different reasons. Didn't we? And, or some of you, maybe, maybe you're just checking Jesus out. You're curious to see whether or not this guy is, is actually worth following any of that. But for some of us, the reason behind it was because nothing else seemed to be working, right? You've tried whatever, right? And you, you just know that there's some sort of satisfaction missing in your life. And so you want something for, from Jesus. Other, other of us, others of us may be a little bit different. Maybe, maybe you're just lonely. Um, some of you want to raise your kids with a few good morals, and that's why you're here. Others, you're praying that God would heal your body or, or fix your marriage. And like the paralytic and his friends, you and I, we all want something from Jesus. Every one of us. And yet, here's what knocks me over. Jesus still welcomes them. Loves them. Me? I mean, you know, right, when somebody comes to you and they just want something from you? I mean, we've, we've all experienced that, right? I, oh, I hate those moments, right? I, I just, I just want to push that person away and have nothing to do with them. But, but Jesus, Jesus doesn't care why you're here. He doesn't care why you come to him. He's just glad that you did. And anybody, anyone who comes to him with even the puniest bit of faith, he will not turn away. He may not be what we want, and he often won't. It's his prerogative, I guess, as God. But do you trust him to be what you need? Because if I were to ask you right now, if we were to sit down, coffee together, or you, maybe somebody in your community group, somebody you trust, to, to sit down, and they were to ask, what's your biggest problem right now? I mean, what, what would you say, right? And, I, and there are some serious problems in our lives, right? Not minimizing any of those, but your biggest problem is not, it's not your relationships, it's not your kids, it's not your loneliness or your depression, it's, it's not cancer or old age or even death, it's, it's none of those things. My biggest problem is sin. And that's not an exaggeration. It's not just something, you know, we pastors like saying or whatever. I mean, if you were here with us last week, um, we talked about this, right? We asked the question, does it matter what we believe about us and the problem that we are, that the fact that we... We are plagued with this disease called sin. Um, that we are under God's wrath as a result. Destined for eternal death and judgment. So listen. Listen, I think this is so important from the story. If you get whatever it is you're praying for, whatever it is, as legitimate as it may be, if you get whatever it is you're praying for, but don't get God, you're still dead. Lost. I mean, sure, he could, he could fix your marriage. He could fix your checkbook, your, your body. He could fix whatever it is that you're longing for. But without forgiveness, without being made whole in here, I mean, what good would those things be after a few more decades? And again, I'm... I hesitate to say that because it sounds like I'm making it trivial, and I, I hope you don't hear that. I have, I have cried with way too many people in the last few days. Deep tears of pain. It's not, it's not making light of those things at all. These aren't trivial matters, but all we can think about, all I can think about is my 70 years. That's it, right? I want them, and I want them to be perfect. But what's 70 years in light of forever? Just think about it. The paralytic, he still died right? And so now he's had 2,000 years in the presence of God, made whole, both body and soul. 
And think about if you were to, to stop and had a chance to talk to this guy, you know, about what he values most. I don't think he'd say the legs. Because he would have gotten those after he died and anyway, right? That, that God would have restored that. That's promised to us for those who, who know him. That would have been restored anyway. But no, he's, he's been given a new heart. He's a child of God in God's presence. And yet again, this amazes me in our story. Jesus does both for that man. Both. And I know this sounds like a really big statement. But do you know that Jesus will do both for you? He will. Both your wants and your needs. He promises to you, if you belong to him, Jesus always liberates those he rescues. He doesn't just forgive, he makes us whole. He promises to. Now the, the tricky part is the timing, right? He may not do it soon. And he may not do it in the way that you want him to. But he will make it right. That's a a promise. You see, what Jesus did for the paralytic, and really what what he does in all of these miracle stories that we read about, it's just an appetizer. That's all it is. It's it's all it was meant to be. Just a taste. It it was meant while Jesus was on earth to to whet people's appetite for the meal that he would later bring, because it's still coming. And when the meal comes, we won't be thinking about the appetizer anymore. We'll, we'll be fully satisfied, fully in his presence. It's, it's just, just an appetizer. This world will be made right. And so will you, and so will your situation. I had a power, powerful reminder of this this past week. Um, an old friend of ours, they were our community group leaders um, when we attended the Leewood campus, so back, you know, eight, nine years ago now. Um, when we were over there before we started, started this campus. Um, it was people that we've prayed with and prayed for. Um, their 30-year-old son, after a long battle with mental illness, took his life last week. Um, and, you know, Mark is, that's the dad. Mark is one of those guys. He's, he's been an elder for, for Christ community in the past. Just a, a dear, dear man. He and I serve on a board together with our denomination, so we spent a lot of time together in the last year, year, year and a half. Um, I just can't imagine, right? I mean, even, even as I'm thinking about now, talk, it's like, how do you even wrap your mind around that kind of grief and agony? And Mark, he spoke at his funeral. It was this past Tuesday. And I wish I could have, like, written down faster the things that he said. Because um, it, it buoyed my faith. Because here's this, this father who has lost what's, what must feel like almost everything in absolute agony, and yet his faith holding him strong. He said something like, I mean, just a paraphrase, he basically said that th- this, this God who, who put the, the stars and the planets in the sky, who held, holds them in their orbit, right? Who put them just at the right distance from everything so that it all works like it should. And the same God who, who put the atoms together and the protons and neutrons and all the mysterious things that we don't even hardly, even now, begin to understand. This same God, he said, knows exactly what I need even if he chose not to heal my son. That's what he said. And he went on and he said that, but Matt is is healed now, whole. Because even though feebly, right? And those dark minds, dark dark places of, of, of mental illness, some of you, some of you know that, right? How dark it can be. Feebly he trusted in Jesus. 
and we believe, right? He's been made whole, both body and soul. To trust Jesus to give you what you need, even if he doesn't give you what you want. Finally, last thing here. What are you willing to do to get close to Jesus? Because we learn a lot about faith in this story, don't we? Faith isn't mere mental assent. Faith is a reckless desire to get close to Jesus, to take a chance on him, and it demands action. I mean, really, it's, it's one of the ways that we can be confident that our faith is, is real, that it's, it's actually true and legitimate. Faith changes us. So how has it, it changed you? How has it pushed you? What are you doing to get closer to him? I mean, do you, do you read his word? Do you talk with him? Do you spend time alone with him? Faith demands action. And let's not forget here the role of the friends either, right? Uh, that he's got this, this community around him. What, what are you willing to do to help others around you get close to Jesus? What lengths are you willing to go? Pry up some guy's roof, right? I mean, do you share your faith? Do you pray for your neighbors? Do you love in tangible ways? Do you invite the people in your life to, to church? Are you reaching out in ways to help people experience who this Jesus is? And are you in a small group where you can build these kinds of relationships? Because it's their, it's their collective faith that changes their lives. Not one of these individuals, a part of the story would be the same. Not one of them. And with this too, are you, are you praying for your church? That, that God would enable us and empower us to help drawing people closer to him, of, of bringing people close to Jesus. Pray that God would do that. Pray that he'd open doors for additional campuses. Pray, pray for us as we think about this, this third service, right? We're launching in September 8, 9, 30, and 11, and all that that's going to mean. It's going to change who we are in many ways, but it's going to allow us, hopefully, more opportunity to help others get close to Jesus. So here's just one simple next step for all of us. I mean, whether you know Jesus or not, okay? Again, I realize that we all, we're all different here. Um, even if you're not a Christian, you're here. You might as well play along, okay? Um, find a way to get closer to Jesus, regardless of what you believe about him. That's the next step for all of us. I mean, for some, it could be 15 minutes a day, carving out that time to read your Bible and to pray. Simple as that, 15 minutes a day. For others, it might be attending church more regularly or engaging more deeply. It might, might be finding a place to, to serve or to give. Very few things stretch our faith uh, like giving ourselves away. Maybe it's finding a small group of people to begin to, to plug in. Maybe it's to, to pray or to partner more intentionally with who we are as a church. And let us help you in this. Because the reality is, unless you get close to him, you're not going to care about any of this other stuff. I mean, really, your wants are always going to trump your needs. But when you get close to him, then you begin to, to see these things differently, and you begin to want more of what he wants. Because sure, Jesus isn't always what we want, but he's always what we need. And here, here's the great irony of this story. Because Jesus said, right, that great question, what's easier? For me to say you're forgiven or for me to say get up and walk? And we all know, right, this, what to say is to say you're forgiven. But the reality is to actually accomplish those things. And I love this irony, right? Because Jesus, the creator of the universe, the one who designed these bodies out of dust, nothing could be easier than healing these bodies. But to heal what's in here, a rebellion against God, the way that we've committed treason against the holy God, that, that would cost him everything. That's why he came. To give, give his life on a cruel cross so that we could enter into this life with him. It would be easy for Jesus to give you what you want. 
Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. We don't, we don't know why he often doesn't. But aren't you glad he paid the price to give us what we truly need? And one day, one day, because of his resurrection, we will rejoice together in the presence of God, us together there with him, those of us who can know him and are called by him. We will stand there with both. The fulfillment of our needs, our deepest needs, as well as the satisfaction of our deepest longings. We believe that. Let's pray. God, on the one hand, I read a story like this. And I'm so encouraged, right, to to get this picture of who Jesus is and to believe that this is who Jesus always is and will be for us. So there's so much hope in these words. And yet, as I look around this room, there's so much pain. We can feel almost empty here in these words. Just too good to be true. And so God, I pray that you would give us what we need, even if it's at the expense of what we want. God, that you would do that in my life. And God, help us to trust you. And Lord Jesus, help us to believe and to rejoice in you, that you, you are the God who is in the process of making all things new, that so often what we long for, what we think we long for is just an appetizer, but you have the meal waiting for us. God, help us to believe that, to trust that what you have for us is better, that you are good and that you love us, that you long to be near us. So God, even in the darkness, even in the pain, and also in the joy, God, I pray that we would come to you now and worship and delight in your presence, knowing that you are here and knowing that your love never fails. In Jesus' name, amen.